Hello, and welcome to the Learning to Slay the Beast podcast, a resilience podcast where we talk about all the challenging things that we're working to overcome, like anxiety, health, and relationship issues. My name is Sarah. Welcome to the podcast this week. I am so excited to chat again this week with an author who is going to be sharing some of her experiences with us. First, just wanted to check in. We're getting ready for the holidays here, and it's a pretty exciting time. I admit it's been a little bit more challenging this year. My son is a little older, and so, you know, it's it's a tougher time to figure out exactly what the right gift is and things like that. And the weather has been a little bit crazy. It's been pretty cold. And then this week we had um, a little bit of like a warm spell and a bunch of rain. So, you know, it's all over the place. But we are all doing well. I had a very exciting week myself in that I got myself a little pre-birthday gift. I ordered myself a Peloton bike and I have been doing the Peloton app for about two years. And so when I had an issue with my existing spin bike, that's what I'd been using. I'd been using the app on my phone and then using this bike that I already had. And I really liked the instructors, really loved it, but um, couldn't kind of get over the, the price. And I thought, well, I have a bike. I'm not just gonna buy a new one. But then of course, it broke. And then my treadmill broke. And I was like, I have no cardio going into the winter available indoors. I've been running a lot outside using the Peloton app, but I thought um, I really need something indoors. Like as it gets icy here, it's just going to be really too, too tricky, I think, for me to run outside and get enough exercise over the winter. So I got the Peloton. It was awesome. It came all put together. They brought it in, no packaging, nothing, put it right where I wanted. Um, And then I just uh, basically got onto the Wi-Fi, hooked up my account, and it's ready to go. So it's been pretty exciting. I've done, um, I did a 20-minute ride, then I did a 45-minute live ride, and then this morning I used one of the warm-ups like a five minute warm up before I did some weightlifting. So I feel like I'm already getting on it and definitely feeling it in my legs. So <laughs> I think it's it's uh, doing its job. And uh, yeah, I just wanted to share because I'm so excited. And like I said, it's kind of an early birthday gift for me. My birthday's at the end of December. And so it was like a very exciting little treat for myself. So This week, though, on the podcast, a totally different topic, we're going to be talking a little bit about neurodiversity. So I'm excited always to learn more about um, Tourette's syndrome, given that my son has a history of tics um, to do with pandas. And then I also like learning a lot about neurodiversity, especially on top of the conversation we had with Leslie Gibson in episode 84. And so I'm I'm very excited to speak with this week's guest, Paula Jean Ferry. She's an author and she's going to share about a book that she wrote called Awkwardly Strong and all of her experiences with Tourette syndrome and neurodiversity. She's also written a few other books, um, called one called Tragically Strong and another called Fearfully Strong. And I'm interested to hear some of her unique perspectives that she's going to give us on awkward situations. So please enjoy this interview with Paula Jean Ferry. 
Have you read my novel Pendulum by S.E. German yet? If not, what are you waiting for? And if you have, I would love to hear from you. If you don't know about Pendulum, it's a heartwarming story about a young boy who starts to experience neuropsychiatric symptoms after an infection. We follow the boy as he goes through many regular, real middle grade issues like moving, having a crush, playing sports, also while experiencing neuropsychiatric symptoms like anxiety, OCD, tics, panic attacks, and more. If you're interested in checking out Pendulum by S.E. German, it is available through Amazon Worldwide where you can even see a preview of the book or you can listen to chapter one, which is on episode 64 of the Learning to Slay the Beast podcast. I hope you enjoy the novel and thanks for your support. So welcome, Paula Jean, to the podcast. I'm happy to connect with you today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. So why don't we start with you providing your background and how you got into writing on awkward situations? So it actually started back when I was diagnosed in college with Tourette syndrome. I, I had been making noises and, and had tics before, but it wasn't until college that I was told, okay, this is Tourette syndrome. It was my senior year of college. I wanted to learn more about it. So I did, instead of doing an internship, I did a research paper on how Tourette syndrome affects communication, which my professors were very supportive. They said, this is great. There's nothing like this in the communications field. You should get this published which is always highly validating to hear from college professors. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do it. Um, Turns out it's actually really hard to publish a college paper. It's actually easier to publish a book and publishing a book isn't easy, Uh, but it was still easier. And I've always been a bookworm. So I decided to expand it and to make it a a full book, um, which I then published. And, And in that writing process, it turned into awkwardly strong, which is how to utilize awkward moments to your advantage. It became more of a self-help personal development type book more than informational. Okay, great. And so it's written kind of from, you know, your personal perspective and then also like backed up with research kind of thing. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I could totally see that um, being difficult to to publish. And yeah, I, I recently published... Um, a middle grade novel. So I totally hear you that it's also difficult to publish a book. <laughs> right? <laughs> but so much fun. I, I had yeah. no idea that, that publishing a book was going to be so addicting. This I never understood adrenaline run- junkies until I published a book. And I'm like, oh, I get it. This is my life now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it is exciting. Uh, absolutely, for sure. So, you know, my son experiences tics as part of a disorder that he has, actually. Um, and so I'm a little bit familiar. But when did your tics come on? And at what point, um, you know, did you kind of push you towards seeking that diagnosis, I guess? So I actually started late, statistically, meaning that there's always going to be outliers. I was definitely a far outlier. Uh, but it it starts around the ages of four to six. I started making noises at 17 years old. I was a senior in high school. And at first I just kind of thought they were hiccups, but they didn't hurt like normal hiccups. These were like a special, I don't know, type of hiccup for me or something. I don't know. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. But I, I started doing them every day. And then I started doing them multiple times per day. 
uh, I was never really worried about it because I just thought it was hiccups and they didn't hurt. I mean, the problem with hiccups is that they typically hurt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but where they didn't, I'm like, oh, it's fine. No big deal. Um, however, my parents were very concerned. And so at their request, I mean, I was legally an adult at this point, but I was curious and and where they were concerned, I saw several different doctors who had no idea what was going on. Uh, I saw our general practitioner. I saw an ear, nose, throat doctor. I saw the doctor that diagnosed my mom with thyroid cancer and so had some idea of how things work there. Um, One of them said, well, something has to be spasming. Let's give you muscle relaxant and try and stop it from spasming. Didn't work. Mm -hmm. One of them said, okay, so show me what this sounds like, which by this point, my tics had started to evolve and I can't actually imitate them. No, and I yeah. can't, and you can't do them on command. No, no. <laughs> so I'm like, well, I, I can't. He's like, well, unless I hear it, I can't do anything for you and sent me on my way. Um, oh, wow. It wasn't until um, I was 24 at the time I had actually been kicked out of the major that I was in as a result of these. And, um, and so I ended up failing all of my classes. um, Because what's the point of going to class if they tell me I can't graduate? uh, Because an internship was required. And they said, we can't place you in an internship with these noises. And I'm like, well, cool. What's the point? I had a lot of other stuff going on in my personal life. So I just kind of gave up. Um, but my college was actually really, really smart in their policies. And if you fail a class, uh, you're required to see the school psychologist before you can register for classes again, hmm. um, which is very smart. I mean, they want to make sure that everything's okay, that it's not something that's going to happen again and, and to ensure the success of the student. Um, so I went to see the school psychologist, told him what happened and he pulled out the, the DSMV, which is what doctors use to diagnose anything. Basically, it's got a, a, an entire record of anything that's recognized in the medical field. Um, and we just kind of ticked things off. One, two, three, four. There are four qualifications for Tourette syndrome. I had them all and boom, I had a diagnosis. Oh, wow. Okay. So, well, yeah, that's great that the college actually had somebody for you to see. Not so great that they couldn't place you in a co-op, but, um, (laughs) right. (laughs) Or placement. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for sure. So, so that's kind of what you've moved from there, kind of recognizing that you've got Tourette's. How has, I guess, you know, first the ticks, how have they impacted your life and perspective, but then also maybe having the diagnosis, like has that impacted you as well? Um, I'm going to flip those um, and answer about a di because I don't feel like the diagnosis really impacted anything. No. Because all it really did. Okay. I guess there was some things that it did change for the most part. When I made these noises, people would give me, you know, Oh, you have hiccups. Here's how you cure them. Right. Yeah. But they're not hiccups. (laughs) They're like, well, but have you tried it? And I'm like, yes, yes, I have. But um, people kept trying to fix me. Like I was broken Mm -hmm. because I couldn't explain what it was. Um, Confession, before I was actually diagnosed, I had heard of Tourette syndrome. um, And I knew that I needed to see a neurologist who could officially diagnose me. But I didn't understand the point of paying all that money just for them to tell me that there's not a cure anyways. And it was fine. 
Um, so I started actually telling people I have Tourette's and there's no cure. Leave me alone. <laughs> Essentially. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I said it in a nicer way, but that was the, the basis of what was going through my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and so once I could say, yeah, it's, it's Tourette's syndrome. I was just diagnosed. People weren't trying to fix me. Um, because having a diagnosis doesn't really change much in my mind. I know for some people it really does, and it can affect your ability to access resources. Um, but I like my tics. They're so much fun. Uh, the, the only way that they've really impacted my life in general has been for the better. In high school, I was such a shy and quiet kid that if you asked me a direct question, I would nod or shake my head. I didn't speak. Um, and so Tourette's, especially where I'm mostly vocal, I have more vocal tics than physical tics. It, it gave me a voice where people would come up to me, oh, are you okay? Yes, I have Tourette syndrome and we can start a conversation. Or, you know, before a diagnosis, yes, I just make these noises, I'm fine. But thank you for caring. Um, it allowed me to introduce myself to new people. Friendships were formed as a result. Um, I, I have learned to talk and interact with people much better than I had previously. Doing a podcast is never something I would have done in high mm-hmm. school. Um, I was so painfully shy and quiet. Um, and now I just love it. I love talking about it. And I love knowing that people are willing to listen. Like it's validating for me as a human being that I have something to say and people will listen. Um, Not to mention all of the funny, funny stories that happen because my Tourette's just happen to have this awesome timing. (laughs) Um, They also taught me how to have a sense of humor and comedic timing. Um, You know, um, trying to think of some of my stories. There was a birthday party that I went to and I knew the birthday girl. I knew a couple of people, but I, I didn't know everybody in her circle. And this cute guy walked into the party and my Tourette's just screamed at the top of their lungs. And I'm just like, well, okay. So now mm-hmm. I have the entire room's attention on me. And this guy that had just walked in looked at me and he's like, what, is that like your mating call? Cause it's working. I'm like, um, okay. <laughs> um, and then someone told him I had Tourette's. He got embarrassed and like ran away. And I was like, no, but that was perfect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, right. And so it's great. Yeah. So do you, your tics kind of do, they stay in the vocal area, but they do kind of move in and out of different versions of it? Oh, yeah. I've got several different tics. I, okay. I scream, I bark, I make a lot of animal noises. Um, I've started doing this gasping tick. Um, I have a form called echolalia and I will repeat sounds that I am hearing fairly consistently, which was fun when I was a music major in college. That was my first major because <laughs> I oh, would wow. just start like singing all of these songs. I have this opera diva tick where it's just this super high, beautiful vibrato, you know, opera diva mm-hmm. note. Um, I, I've sounded like my company's time clock when I was sitting next to a time clock at work. Um, it's fun. 
No, that's great. And you have a really good perspective. I know, like, for instance, my son, like his vocal tick has been like a throat clearing. And he's kind of experienced that too, where people are like, oh, do you need a drink? And it's like, well, no, that's not going to make make a difference. Um, So, you know, that's, that's good to be able to explain it for sure. Um, You know, so you mentioned that you've had a number of different awkward situations, you kind of brought up one, but are there any others like that you want to share? And kind of sharing, I guess, what you've learned about them? Oh, I have so many fun stories. That's actually one thing that kind of got me into writing in the first place. Like, yes, I've always been a bookworm and yes, I've always loved to write, but I actually started a blog just so I could remember all of the funny stories or all of the stories in general. Like there are a couple of hard ones that that weren't very fun, like being kicked out of my college major. Um, mm-hmm. Was but- that the music major? No, actually, no. it was social work, ironically. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. The the degree that is supposed to help people like me, mm-hmm. I don't know. I It's still a little bit of a sensitive and sore topic for me. <laughs> I'm mm-hmm. still upset over it. <laughs> yeah, well, no, rightfully so. I mean, I, I would hope that wouldn't happen now. Like, yeah, that's that sounds very challenging. Right. I don't know. Um but but there were a lot of stories. There were a lot of things that I, I learned things from. Um, before I had a diagnosis, I and I mentioned that my parents were very concerned. What kind of laid their fears to rest and something that helped me was I'm a religious person. Um, and I go to church on Sundays, but during the week, I also attend a temple service uh, for my religion. And in the temple, we're supposed to be very quiet, very thoughtful. Like even if we speak, we're supposed to whisper um, very, very quiet, which obviously is hard for someone Mm -hmm. like me. Um, Your first time through, I think I was in there for like five hours. And before I went in, I was taking up a storm. I was making noises every five seconds and they just kept coming and coming and coming. And so I was concerned about being in this quiet, respectful place but the second that I got inside, they stopped and oh, wow. I didn't make a single noise for five hours. And then I came out and I started taking every five seconds again. And that was kind of my, you know what? It was kind of a, a God's in control moment for me of, I don't have to worry about this. Like if it's going to be a problem, you know, there's, there's a higher power that I believe in that that's going to help me take care of that. And I know that doesn't necessarily work for others who may not have, a belief in a higher power. Uh, but for me, it was very profound and it put a lot of my concerns to rest. And so I just started to, especially where I was also um, okay with it, just in the fact that to me, it was a bodily function. I thought they were hiccups for years until I started um, in my music, in the music major and things started to change and to evolve Um, But for me, it was like a cough or a sneeze or a a burp, you know, burps are embarrassing too, but we do them, (laughs) you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. Do you find that they get exacerbated like during stressful times? Have you ever experienced that? 
No, actually, I think I, I do them more often when I'm excited. Statistically, it's more when you're stressed. But I've thought about how physiologically my body has the same reaction, whether you're scared or excited. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you get that adrenaline rush, you get the butterflies in the tummy. And I do them more when I'm excited. And I think that's partially due to having a good attitude and going, oh, I get to play with these. This is going to be fun. Um Instead of a stressful situation that is then exacerbated by ticks and I hit this, you know, endless mm-hmm. cycle of stress going up and ticking more and then getting more stressed and then ticking more. Um, I, I tend to go the opposite direction, I think. Yeah, it sounds like you have like a really positive mindset kind of approach. Like, is that in terms of tips for awkward situations, is that kind of one you would suggest? Actually, I'm going to tell you a little bit more. This this might take a minute, but it's so powerful. This this really changed my life. In doing all of this research with Tourette syndrome and how it affects communication in awkward situations specifically, we live in various cultures. It can vary from place to place, but culture is basically unwritten rules that we're all expected to know and understand and live by. And we just kind of observe these growing up. No one has to tell us, but we just kind of know from watching. Uh, for example, we know not to ask a woman her age or her weight. And we, we know that one so well that it's become a joke, but there's a lot of those within culture that it's just an unspoken rule. Like, duh, everybody knows this. Mm-hmm. Um, what happens when there's an awkward moment is a period of time where we don't know the rules. And as adults, we think we're supposed to know these rules by now. So we get embarrassed. And so we look around looking for someone who knows the rules so that we can watch and learn and follow their example. But there's not really a precedent when you're going to scream in the middle of church or bark in a business meeting. That's just, it's one of those unspoken rules. You don't make these noises at inappropriate times. Mm -hmm. Um, And so what it is, is people don't know how to respond. That's what creates awkwardness is I don't know what to do. But I do because I know the source of these noises. I know what's going on. I get to create what happens next. People are looking for a leader and I get to be that leader. And I get to say, oh, it's Tourette syndrome. It's okay. You can keep going or or whatever have you. You know, maybe I choose not to say anything and just let everyone else sit there in awkwardness, but I don't have to feel awkward because I know what's happening. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. No, that's a really good way to approach it. And yeah, I could see in certain situations, you might be, you know, feeling like you want to bring it up and in others, not at all, right? Right. About a year ago, we got a new puppy named Charlie. Charlie is a lab collie crossed with an Australian cattle dog, a blue healer. And Charlie is a super chewer. He chews anything he can get his hands on, blankets, he chews any toy that we get and destroys it within a few seconds. So this is why I'm excited this year for Christmas to give Charlie the BarkBox Super Chewer. BarkBox Super Chewer comes with two tough toys that are always fluff free because Charlie can destroy anything with fluff. He literally can find the weak link in that toy and then he just goes to town. 
It also comes with two full-size bags of treats that are customizable for allergy or diet preferences, and then two all-natural meaty chews. So you can also get your dog, especially if he's a super chewer, a BarkBox Super Chewer subscription. And you can use my link, which is www.superchewer.com slash real life. And this link gives you an extra free month of Super Chewer, which is valued at $45 and is valid on the multi-length plan. So you can sign up with three months or six months or a year and then see what you like in terms of keeping your dog happy and not chewing the things that he shouldn't be chewing like Charlie did when we first got him and he chewed the corners of our walls and our trim in our house and our couch and so many things. So get BarkBox Super Chewer. And again, my link is www.superchewer.com slash real life. No, perfect. I guess any other tips in terms of the awkward situations, like either from your book or... One of my favorite things about having Tourette syndrome, aside from learning something like this and how much that was able to empower me, that was also a huge step in me speaking up for myself. Um, But also how that applies to any other awkward situation. If I'm in an awkward situation, regardless of what it is, maybe someone said something awkward, you know, Mm -hmm. um, the same principles apply. Like these, these principles can cross over and um, I last year I worked as a librarian in an elementary school and one of the kids said something and I went, well, that's awkward. And one of the kids is like, but I thought you like awkward. And I went, oh, you're right. I do. This is actually something that I still have to remind myself of as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it, it really does apply to any awkward situation. I mean, I feel like it's especially impactful for teenagers because teenagers are at that stage where we're kind of adults. So we should know the rules, but we're kind of still kids. So we're still kind of learning. And so there's just an increased number of awkward situations because you're experiencing dating for the first time. You're experiencing, you know, going out into your own and, and all the things, um, But in any of these, life is entirely what you make it. Like, it's only awkward because you don't know what to do. All you have to do is make a decision and do it, which was also really great for me because I tend to, I'm I'm kind of the one that would like hang back and, and watch before jumping into something because I wanted to do it perfectly. I have this perfectionism aspect of me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Excuse me, tick. (laughs) Um, But because I understand that, okay, all I really need to do is what do I want to see happen here? Um, And then I can jump in and do it. I don't have to wait for anyone. I've kind of become a little bit of a bull in a china shop. I will jump in and crash and break everything, but I will learn so much from that and say, okay, maybe next time I want to do this, but I liked doing this. Mm-hmm. Whereas most people that do it a very set specific way and follow what they're supposed to do, A, don't learn why, and B, miss out on opportunities that might actually be better. 
Yeah, absolutely. No, I really, I really love that approach. Like just in, in that vacuum, you have that time to become a leader and really take the positive approach. And you're right. Like thinking about high school kids and they do, (laughs) they look around for like, who's going to react? Like who's going to say the first thing? And Mm -hmm. um, yeah, if it's, it's something positive and, and you're able to fill that space, then, then you can kind of make that a situation that's positive. Yeah, for sure. And that's I think awesome. that's most of most of what I've I've come out of this with. Like, yeah, there's been some rough stuff, but probably 90% of what happens to me has been positive because I get to be the one that decides this is how we're doing things. Yeah. No, that's great. And I've actually seen more and more on both like Instagram and TikTok. There's more people um explaining ticks. You know, they're putting mm-hmm. videos of their own ticks, getting out there and kind of starting to normalize. And I think it's helping a lot. I think it's giving people a new perspective, um, you know, and especially some of the younger kids who maybe haven't experienced that, um, you know, or have them and are kind of looking to feel that, you know, normalization, like, oh, yeah, okay, somebody else has that too. Um, Mm -hmm. It's really, it's really great. I love it. Let's talk a little bit about neurodiversity. Um, you, you know, you mentioned neurodiversity. I wondered what challenges that you found uh, in being neurodiverse and, you know, maybe what you would want listeners to take away um, and be aware of. I think it's, again, so much fun, especially being this way as an adult and kind of figuring out what my patterns are and what I'm consistently doing and being able to counterbalance that. Like if I know that I have a hard time focusing or I get distracted, like I've got a friend with ADHD and she sets timers for herself every 15 minutes so that she can stay on track with stuff that she's doing or that alarm can like bring her back. Uh, Understanding what you have and figure, even if it's not something with a label, just watching your own habits and patterns Um, you can kind of see, okay, this isn't working. How do I make that work? Um, I feel like it's just an additional way to A, be more understanding for other people, um, but B, also to understand myself at a deeper level because most people don't pay attention to their habits and their patterns and they just kind of repeat what they're already doing and they kind of get stuck. Um, I hate feeling stuck. It Mm -hmm. bugs me to no end. Um, So I want to look at, okay, this isn't working. How do I counter that? How do I balance that? Um, Is it something that I can outsource to someone else? Is it something that I can, you know, set an alarm for? Um, Very common with Tourette's. Tourette's in and of itself is neurodiverse. It's not universally confirmed, but there are some doctors who will put it on the autism spectrum with um, OCD, ADHD, um, Asperger's and autism. I personally see myself on that spectrum. And so I know, okay, these are things that I can watch for and things that I can learn and, and use um, as opposed to considering myself a victim. I, I think that was the biggest mindset for me is having Tourette's, it's so easy to feel like there's a lack of control. I can't control what comes out of my mouth. I can't control what my body does. Um, So it's very easy to then become some kind of a victim where everything is happening to me and I have no control. But flipping that narrative, it then becomes 
everything is happening for me so that I can find new tools. I can find new ways to utilize this. I can find new ways of thinking and make not only my life better, but maybe other people's around me too, because I think differently. I don't get stuck in these same patterns that everyone else has. And I can see why something might be silly and redundant and ridiculous. And I can point that out to other people. Like if I'm in a team meeting at work, I can say, um, this doesn't make sense to me. Either explain it to me so that I understand why we're doing it this way, or let's find a better way that makes more sense type of a thing. Like it doesn't just benefit me. It can benefit everyone else. Mm -hmm. Once I learn how to balance and kind of take that control back in my life, so that I can improve not just me, but everybody. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we all look at things a little bit differently. And yeah, that was something even for me, like I always felt like, oh, everybody just sees the, the way I see. It. And then I started to realize, oh, you know, actually, you need to share how you see it. Mm -hmm. um, so right. yeah, that absolutely applies for sure. And and it is a benefit because you end up with stronger um, products or, or whatever it is that you're working on. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I know with Tourette's, there can be a number of things that go along with it, like OCD, um, anxiety, things like that. Is that mm -hmm. something that you've struggled with as well? Um, it is something that I have, but I don't see that as something that I struggle with. Like, like with Tourette's syndrome, people can struggle with Tourette's syndrome or they can embrace and utilize it as a tool. Um, so I got a little hung up on that word for a second <laughs> because that yeah. word, you know, it, it varies from person to person. I, I do have OCD. I do get very perfectionistic and need things to be exactly a certain way at times. Um, but that can actually be very helpful if I'm working on a detail oriented task. Yeah. Um, you know, there are times where I've actually seen my ADHD be a benefit. It's it's so weird having OCD and ADHD both <laughs> in mm -hmm. conjunction with the Tourette syndrome. Um, but in a way, it's kind of like I'm sitting at one of those old, we've seen pictures of them back when phones were a new thing and they had operators using all of those cords and wires to switch and connect everybody. Um, there, I feel like that puts me in that operator seat where I can, okay, I need to turn this off because I need to put this over here and I need to move this over here. Um, in a way, like, yes, they can be fighting against each other, but they can also have ways to balance and counteract each other. Um, if I get into the zone with something that I'm working on and it's a long-term project, like I'm going to let myself stay in the zone because I'm going to get so much done by focusing on it forever. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to snap out of that and I'm going to need to do a hundred different things that I missed while I was, that I was doing while I was in the zone. Um, and I kind of just alternate between them. Like there, there are ways and it works differently for everybody. I, I will acknowledge that you do have to figure out what is best for you and how it's going to work best for you. Um, but it's in my mind, regardless, it's a tool to be utilized. And it's an additional tool that other people don't get in a way. Yeah. Kind of that ability to like hyper-focus on something, right? Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, for sure. And, you know, I have heard of people using timers and things like that so that they know like, oh, I need to go eat or I, you know, I need to Mm -hmm. take a break because they do get so focused. But I think that is something that's really hitting me is that, you know, your ability in being an adult when you um, were able to focus on what was going on, you know, you could then maybe choose a career or choose environments that, um, let you to really use these as like superpowers. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. And it, and it took some time. Um, I mean, I was diagnosed at 24 and I don't feel like I found a career path until I was 30. And then it took me another five years to really make that shift into it. Okay. This is the goal. I want to be a full-time author. I want to be self-employed. I want to be able to create for myself the functional environment that I need because working at a job that someone else was in charge of my time and my tasks and how I do things didn't work for me because they didn't understand how my brain works. Mm -hmm. So it it, it took time for me to even get to that point. Um, But then it took some time to also adjust into it. I mean, I feel like people who might have been diagnosed earlier kind of have that advantage over over me mm-hmm. because they can do that without having to put themselves through that. <laughs> yeah, and I can see where it might be challenging for some of the kids that are dealing with this because, you know, if you're kind of in that traditional school environment, there's not always right. that ability to say, hey, I want to keep working on whatever you're working on. You know, maybe it's an art project or writing or something like that um, mm-hmm. because you're really motivated by it. It's like, well, no, we have to move on to the next thing. And I can see that that would be, um, you know, the downside, I guess, for sure in terms of the younger kids. But then as I always kind of say this to my son, like as you get older, you get to pick a little bit more about what, mm-hmm. you know, what you get to do and what you're involved in and things like that. So, um, you know, building on those strengths, right? Um, yeah, for sure. I think it's important. So um, I know you've written a few books, right? So you talked a bit about mm-hmm. Awkwardly Strong, but you've got um, Tragically Strong and Fearfully Strong. Are those just... Um, kind of an expansion or are they all differently focused? A little bit of both. Uh, The concept of all three of these books is to take these things that we use as an excuse to hold us back. You know, I can't do things because this is so awkward. I can't do things because it's too hard. I can't do things because I'm afraid and how they're tools to be utilized, but they each have a different focus and each one of them needs to be handled in a different way. Um, When you're dealing with tragedy, um, I've been through a lot of things in my life and it does require taking a step back so that I can heal properly um, in order to move forward. With fear, we need to understand what it's for, what purpose it it has so that we can utilize it um, and understand why it's there. I mean, fear is there to keep us alive. Um, So there are certain fears that I have uh, that, you know, I don't really want to overcome that because it keeps me safe physically. Like that's important to me. I would like to live a long, healthy life. But Mm -hmm. there are other fears that are simply just misinterpreted and mislabeled. Um, Like like what we talked about earlier with the with the stressful situations. Uh, Physiologically, it's the exact same response. All I'm doing is say, no, I'm actually excited about this instead of I'm afraid of this. Um, mm-hmm. You know, people can be nervous in 
in stressful and social situations. But, um, but I see it as an exciting thing because what are my ticks going to do? This is going to be so much fun to see how people respond and, and what kind of jokes and stories can come out of it. Um, instead of going, Oh my gosh, how am I going to be embarrassed? It's entirely a mindset with, uh, with really all three of them in, in how you approach them. Uh, fear and awkwardness are very closely correlated. Um, tragedies is definitely harder and, and takes more time because we have to learn to sit with ourselves and our emotions and they're not going to be comfortable. I mean, these things are hard and no one wants to feel sad. No one wants to be angry, uh, but they're, they're real emotions that you have to, to sit in and, and process. And there can be some of that with awkward situations. Mm-hmm. You know, we have these awkward situations that might not have gone the way we wanted them to, and we can be hurt and we can be angry. Um, but it, like with the getting kicked out of my college major, like that was painful. That was embarrassing. There was a lot of, that was just not good in that situation. But at the same time, I'm very grateful that that happened, that I, that I was kicked out of my college major because I was able to find something so much better that then eventually led me to the life that I lead now. I, I can't imagine still working in social work and um, I would have a very different life and I don't think I would enjoy it near as much. Um, but it did take some healing and some processing and some reconfiguring of, you know, my entire life. Where did I want my life to go? Um, but that's one of my favorite things about the career that I'm in. I also work a lot in in creativity. I have an online course about creating creativity and how to become more creative and get ideas so that we don't get stuck with like writer's block because I work a lot with, with other authors. Um, but creation is a constant process. It's not just something we create with arts. It's, um, it's actually really beautiful because even when something is lost or destroyed, we then are able to create space. If you tear down a building, you now have an open lot to build whatever you want. Maybe you want to build a high rise. Maybe you want to build a cute little cottage. Maybe you want to build a castle, but you couldn't have built that if the first building hadn't been torn down and destroyed. Um, It's hard. It's dangerous, you know, in the, in the instance of tearing down a building, um, but at the same time, when we do things properly, we can create something even better. No, very cool. And so I'm, yeah, very interested in your online course. Is it mostly because you're writing more nonfiction or do you have fiction authors as well that you're working with? Um, I work a little bit with both. Um, I am actually working on my first fiction novel. I pr- published a fourth book just last week on hard-earned lessons learned, a guide on what I wish I'd known when self-publishing. Again, taking all of these experiences and all of these things that I did wrong and turning them into a book that people pay me for. Yeah. See what I did there? Like, yeah, yeah. (laughs) um, These these times that we think that we're failing can actually be really, really great tools. Um, And I'm working on my first fiction novel about the first woman uh, studied with Tourette syndrome that led to Tourette syndrome becoming an official diagnosis. She was born in 1800s in France. Um, you know, and as someone who's been involved, I, I'm a ridiculous reader. Um, I've already read 105 books so far, I think. And those aren't audiobooks. I don't do audiobooks. I sit and read. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, I, I've read so many books and I understand the story process. Um, so I work with both fiction and nonfiction writers. Wow, very cool. No, that sounds great. Um, so any other takeaways or tools that you want to touch on for listeners before we wrap up? Hmm. I mean, I could definitely keep going. This is why I've written literally several books and <laughs> <laughs> done entire online courses. Um, but for for brevity's sake, I, I can't think of any one thing in particular right now. <laughs> All right. That's great. Um, so how can listeners find out more about you? Is it best like online, social media? Uh, maybe they're interested in your course. I have a website, uh, paulajeanferry.com. Uh, but I also am on social media. Primarily, I focus on Facebook and Instagram. I have a Twitter. I'm not on there a ton. I have a Pinterest. I'm not on there a ton. Um, but the reason... Paula Jean Ferry is actually a pen name. And the reason that I chose it is because if you put Paula Jean Ferry into the search bar, I am what pops up. You'll find podcasts by me. You'll find um, anything that I've done, articles that I've written on medium.com. I write pretty, pretty often on medium.com. Um, you'll find my social media. Quick Google search will bring up anything. <laughs> Yeah, and it's very F-E-R-R-I, right? Correct. Uh-huh. I had an Italian great-grandpa who came over from Italy, so. That's great. Okay, perfect. I will make sure to link up to a few of those accounts um, in in the show notes as well so that people can click away and then they'll see um, the name that they should be searching too. So, Thank you so much, Paula Jean. I think this has been a really positive conversation for sure. You know, looking at mindset and ways to kind of flip things um, that, you know, maybe you might think are are going to be an issue, but then make it um, something that just makes life even better. Good. I hope so. Thank you so much for having me. It's been so great. You're welcome. Do you love the Learning to Slay the Beast podcast? Well, first of all, thank you so much. Second of all, if you love the podcast and you want more and more to keep coming, I would love your support through Kofi.com. Kofi.com is a way that you can put a little money towards your favorite podcast. It can be as little as a few dollars, one time bunch of times, whatever you feel that you can give. And it helps to cover all the costs that go associated with podcasting. So if you would like to support this podcast, please consider donating through Kofi.com. You can find the link in my Instagram feed under Linktree. It's at Sarah Lady Gluten, or you can visit Kofi, K-O- hyphen fi.com slash learning to slay the beasts. I appreciate your support, whether you can give or not. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you so much to Paula Jean Ferry for her conversation with me this week. I really loved her mindset. She has such a positive attitude. She definitely has a lot of interesting ways that she deals with awkward situations. I loved um, some of her comments on neurodiversity as well as you know, her focus on just being positive about 
everything, everything that that has come up for her in her life. Um, If you do want to find out more about her book, Awkwardly Strong, or her other books, Tragically Strong and Fearfully Strong, you can visit her at Paula Jean Ferry, it's F-E-R-R-I dot com. Also, you can find her on Instagram at Jess Squeaks, J-E-S-S-S-Q-U-E-A-K-S. And I'm sure her books can all be found, as she mentioned, on Amazon um, and all over the place where you can then get connected with her. Thank you so much for sharing with us this week. And if you're interested in watching me on my Peloton, you can feel free to follow me at at Sarah Lady Gluten. I've been posting a lot about uh, me me riding and how, um, how it's going in case you're curious about getting a bike yourself. I know it was something I researched so long and I was like trying to find out as much information as I could. So again, thanks so much to Paula Jean and I hope that everybody is enjoying getting ready for this holiday season. Thank you for listening to the Learning to Slay the Beast podcast. Please keep in mind, this podcast is not intended to be medical or professional advice. If you'd like to hear more from me, you can follow me on social media, Instagram and TikTok, at Sarah Lady Gluten or Facebook, Sarah underscore Gluten Free Lady. You can also visit my website, which includes author information, speaking information, and more info on the podcast at www.se-german.com. If you like the podcast, please feel free to review the podcast on your favorite platform and also subscribe because it means that it will show up for you every week on your favorite podcast platform. Also, we've just started to have the ability to support the podcast. You can find this link in my Instagram bio or visit Kofi ko-fi.com slash learning to slay the beasts. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.